What's up, sports fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Wee Sports Chronicles podcast. We got a great episode for you this week. Next up is Kristen Shilton. She is the Toronto Maple Leafs beat reporter for TSN and TSN 1050 Radio in Toronto. In this episode, I chat with Kristen about her approach to covering the Toronto Maple Leafs, the challenges of being a reporter covering hockey during the global pandemic, as well as her sports media career, attending Syracuse University, as well as her various stops along her career before getting to TSN, as well as her advice for young journalists breaking into the industry. The We Sports Chronicles podcast is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. Now let's get to today's episode with Kristen Shilton on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. All right, as I said off the top, I am pleased to be joined by Kristen Shilton. She is a Toronto Maple Leafs reporter for TSN. And she joins me today on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Kristen, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. So, Kristen, look, I mean, it's November. Normally, you'd be on on the road or covering the NHL. But now with no hockey, it must be a little strange. So I'm just curious what this has been like for you, just, you know, having the the off-season being in the fall when it's normally the regular season. I mean, we, we kind of already had an off season uh, in the spring. Obviously, once the NHL shut down in March, there wasn't a lot going on until uh, about June when uh, the players came back for phase two and then into phase three and into that short trip to the bubble <laughs> that the Leafs had. Uh, and now, I mean, we, there's actually been quite a bit going on with the draft and free agency and and a lot of that stuff uh, throughout the fall. So it hasn't actually been too different um, now. It was a lot different. I think previously when no one really knew what was going on um, at this point, I'm kind of treating it a bit like the end of an off season, mm-hmm. hoping that uh, with that January 1st date still being a target, I'm hoping that things will begin to pick up and we'll uh, have a chance to get back in for some sort of um, training camp, maybe in December, something like that. But uh, as with anything related to the pandemic, we're just one, one day at a time, one step at a time, but it, it actually hasn't felt much like an offseason just given how much uh, news and, and how much has been going on with the team prior to the last couple of weeks. So uh, it's been pretty easy to keep busy. You mentioned how the NHL is targeting the January 1st start date. Obviously nothing yet confirmed as we're recording this. But one of the interesting things, Kristen, is this whole concept of a potential all-Canadian division. And, and I think... As hockey fans here in Canada, I mean, we, we know the Toronto-Montreal rivalry. We know the Toronto-Ottawa rivalry. But we haven't really seen much of Toronto-Vancouver or Toronto-Edmonton. So I'm just curious, as someone who covers the Maple Leafs, what that could potentially be like for you just in terms of creating content surrounding these potentially new rivalries. Well, I think what creates a rivalry is there has to be some sort of uh, antagonism between the teams. <laughs> and when you only play somebody twice a year, it's pretty tough to, uh, I think, develop any kind of uh, bad blood, so to speak, or, uh, you know, you don't see it in the playoffs, obviously uh, with, with everything, unless you make the, the, the cup finals. So it's, it's pretty tough. I think for those, those Western conference teams to really develop any kind of a rivalry, if you're not playing them very frequently, I mean, you see Montreal, you see Ottawa, 
how many times a year, and then there's always the potential for uh, those big divisional matchups to really create, uh, I think, the rivalries that we see. So if there would be a Canadian division, um, I mean, I suppose that could be the building blocks for future rivalries between the teams, but uh, I think the, the compelling part of the storyline when it comes to a Canadian division potentially is, is that, you know, Toronto fans and fans uh, who mostly watch the Eastern Conference would actually get a chance uh, to see more of the players that uh, they usually are in bed, I would imagine, <laughs> uh, when those clubs are playing. I mean, you, you think about guys like Elias Patterson or um, even the, you know, Matthew Kachuk, those guys who uh, just just players that I think are really striking in terms of their talent, but, but maybe don't get as much uh, attention um, just because of where they play. So that to me is the exciting part of what those, um, what that, that division or that, what that's uh, the all Canadian matchups could be. Uh, and then it goes vice versa. I mean, I think teams, uh, you know, are sorry, fans on the West coast who who maybe depending on when they're able to watch, you know, if you're not available at four o'clock to turn on an East coast game, you might not get a chance to see as much of an Austin Matthews or a Mitch Marner. And, and maybe that's something for hockey fans to look forward to. Um, but you know, if, if, assuming this is going to be a one year kind of deal, <laughs> uh, I don't know how much in terms of rivalry it will create, but I do think it will create some, some different storylines and something different to talk about. Uh, think about all of the, the hours we spend dissecting the, the Leafs, Sens, Leafs, uh, um, sorry, Leafs Habs and, and Leafs Bruins. You know, this will just be a different uh, a different opportunity to kind of dive into how the teams match up and uh, definitely different styles between the, the West Coast and the East Coast uh, Canadian teams. So I think that would be really fun to watch. And Kristen, I mean, I know you had a chance to, you know, as you said earlier, cover I mean, the restart and, and, and the bubble and the return to play. And one of the big challenges, I think, for, for reporters is the fact that, you know, you're not in the locker rooms, a lot of the press conferences, scrums, occur over zoom and who knows if you I mean if, if that'll it most likely will continue to start at least 2021 so i'm just curious just the the challenges behind that that you've experienced and how you've been able to sort of conquer those in terms of you know producing some stellar content and being able to report on the leaps yeah i, I think like anything lately it's, it's all about adjusting your expectations and i think you kind of have to wrap your sports it's you know for everyone who's on those daily conference calls with uh whether it's um, someone like Doug Ford whether it's uh someone that you're interviewing uh via zoom when it used to be that you could do it in person it's just it's it can be harder to connect and so I think that was maybe the the toughest hurdle and we were lucky because the Leafs were very good about making players available right from the start of uh, the league shutdown in, uh, in the spring, they did their best to get guys on Zoom calls. And, and so we kind of got uh, into a rhythm a little bit of understanding what it would be like to get any kind of, um, I guess, compelling or interesting answers from players, which it's just, it's hard because you're, you know, you think about there's 30, 40 reporters on a call and, and you're getting questions from um, reporters that, that wouldn't necessarily be in a dress you get them from all over uh, the country all over North America and so that does make it um, harder in the sense there's just there's already a lot of bodies in Toronto and a lot of voices but now you're bringing in even more voices from other uh, areas and stations that wouldn't normally be involved so challenge just having to really speak up 
and I think really um, get your questions in and, and not sit back, which, you know, as a journalist, I think you always try to be driving the conversation as opposed to um, just relying on others. But it's, it's tough because they can't get to everybody all the time. Whereas when you're in a dressing room, I mean, if, if one guy's getting the star treatment and everybody's over there, you can go talk to somebody else or you could move, uh, move on to another player um, and, and get some, some quality content as well. But that obviously doesn't exist now. And I don't think that uh, we're going to be back to that for a bit. And, and that's, it's, I think it's a bit of a struggle for journalists who are really driven to create that different kind of content mm-hmm. like there's there's certain I, I think of myself as a beat reporter i i'm very much about the day-to-day i do the occasional feature but, but my role is about presenting the day-to-day content whereas a feature writer or someone who's working for a different sort of news outlet they want something very unique and you're not going to get unique right now because every question you're asking i might think oh wow that's a good note i'm gonna put that in my story and that's in vice versa, right? Like I might have a different angle and someone else is going to jump onto that as well. And that I, I think you, you have to kind of let go of your feelings about creating really unique content um, when it comes to at least the scrums. Uh, there's There's been opportunities. I was able to speak to Kyle Dubas one-on-one about prospects earlier. Um, there have been chances in some uh, instances to actually get uh, some more unique stuff, but that's really I think the biggest challenge is that you're you're dealing with an even greater number of people who have different agendas on what they want to talk to a player about their steering conversations in different ways so you have to be very structured very prepared very anchored into what you want to accomplish in a zoom call and you have to be really ready to um you know to get in there and and ask the questions if you only get two which is usually the the number um, it, there's just no time to waste. So I think it's, I think actually as a journalist, it's made it um, almost uh, more fun to mm-hmm. have, well, I wouldn't say more fun, <laughs> maybe it's at least a positive to take from this, uh, this um, change in how we do our job is that it keeps you on your toes. And now you've had to pivot. And uh, I think for journalists, that's always a good thing. Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's a great answer. And I, because I think, look, I mean, during scrums in normal times, the, the, the star players would get, the attention and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. And then for a journalist that may want to maybe is new to the beat and wants to stand out, they'd be like, Oh, like you could talk to maybe a lesser known player that it isn't getting that much attention in order to get a quote. Now that can't happen just because of the nature of zoom calls and whatnot. So I feel like from my conversations with journalists on this podcast, you're right that this whole concept of adjusting, pivoting to, to find new ways to create content is vital in, in order to stand out, especially in Toronto, where, as you said, there's so many reporters commentating on the Leafs and there's so many eyeballs because of the passionate fan base that is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I think that's that sort of sums it up. Is yes, you already have a lot of, um, there's a lot of reporters covering the team. You have a lot of news outlets that are in on it. And then now you have uh, a lot of other people who can step into the ring and, and make their voices heard as well. So carving out a niche for yourself, I think is more uh, paramount than ever just to continue to be able to produce the same level of work that uh, you felt you were able to before. Shifting gears a bit. I, I want to talk a bit about your, your, your career. And I find that your, you know, your, your career path is so unique to, to get to where you are right now. Maybe just the first general question. I mean, was, was sports media always, 
in the cards for you, Kristen, as a career path that, that you wanted to take? Well, no, not really. I didn't, um, I didn't pursue it originally um, as a career path. I spoke about this recently on my Twitter, um, just saying that, you know, the reason why I didn't originally pursue it is because I didn't see women really in the roles that I wanted. Um, I knew that I wanted to cover hockey in Toronto. That was sort of the, the dream for me. But when you really broke it down, there weren't women writers necessarily. There were some women on TV um, there was, you know, I think Rosie Dumano was mm-hmm. is one of the really the pioneers in this town in terms of what she has been able to do uh, in in hockey reporting throughout her career. But that was more what I aspired to. I didn't really aspire to television at all. I wanted to be a storyteller. I wanted to write, and and I just didn't see that um, in, in Toronto and and really in Canada in hockey media. So I didn't pursue it originally. I was going to uh, school to get an English degree. I got. Um, I thought that perhaps I would uh, become an author or work in uh, publishing, something uh, a little bit more, uh, I think, traditional. And it just worked out that, you know, I was still so passionate about sports. It was still where my heart was. And when I got into the working world and realized, hey, you know, I'm spending a lot more time listening to sports podcasts and writing for blog networks for free just because I, you know, had opinions and wanted an outlet for them. Um, I realized that if that's what your passion is, I was 20 at the time. And I thought, you know, 20 is too young to just decide that you're, you know, sort of stuck in, mm-hmm. in the career that you went to school for. Uh, so that really was all the motivation I needed. I didn't want to be stuck. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be disappointed in myself in 20 years and think, man, you, you don't know what you might've been able to do. So that's where I moved on to um, a sports journalism program at a community college. I applied to Syracuse and I, I went there and got my master's in sports communication. Uh, and then everything kind of snowballed from there. And, and I think that, you know, I think you have to be, you know, it's good to be lucky. And I think you, I've been very lucky. I also think that I worked really, really hard to make the inroads that I did. Um, so the combination of those things that really pushed me further into sports media but I think there were there were several off ramps you know there were several Mm -hmm. times in my career where I've had to be like is this is it worth it is the sacrifice worth it and you end up staying on the highway Uh, (laughs) but definitely um, I think there's there's those moments of doubt definitely along the way where I wasn't sure if I would ever really end up here you mentioned about not wanting to be stuck. And I think what's so fascinating about sports media is that there is no linear path to get to where you want to go. And I think that makes for really compelling stories. And you made the decision, of course, to, to go to Syracuse. And, and I've had a few Syracuse alum on the pod. And, and it's just, you know, a school that's produced some of the, the highest quality journalists and broadcasters in, in North America. So I'm just curious what it was about Syracuse that really taught you, you know, how to be, you know, a, a journalist and just giving you the reps that you needed to just build your skills and knowledge about the industry. Well, I think the first thing that Syracuse did is from the very first day is they really drill into you that it's a very small number of people that get admitted into these programs. Mm-hmm. And so you are already at like, you know, you've already accomplished something just by getting there. And and I why that mattered to me was that I didn't have a ton of confidence in my journalistic ability at that point. 
I had only done eight months of the community college program. I was still very much figuring out, you know, this is a broadcast school and I have no broadcasting experience. How is this going to go? And I think the first thing Syracuse did was they really instilled that confidence in you from the start. Like you might not be where you want to go yet, but you're in a great place to figure it out. And I think that confidence is part of what carried me from my very first boot camp that we did there, the six week summer boot camp, right through until where I am now. Just remembering that, you know, there's, there weren't a, a ton of people in my program. I think there was in total about 60 of us maybe. Um, and that's a small group for, you know, for the number of applicants that they get. So Syracuse is very good about reminding you that they want excellence out of the people that they bring into the program and I definitely carried that confidence with me throughout what was a very challenging year for me in terms of broadening my skill set uh, and, and it started with writing I was in the um, magazine newspaper online journalism program that that moved into a sports communication program a sports communication emphasis should say um but part of that was they give you a very well-rounded education i got to start in um writing and there was all kinds of crazy on the job type things like one day we were in class and they said okay everybody everybody get out right now like get out of the building go outside and they had staged a car accident where they were like <laughs> okay all your reporters you're working like this car accident just happened go and you had to basically report on this like, fake accident but there was like people you had to talk to how were you going to do what you had one hour to file a story and, and those like real world examples that they could do um really makes you think on your feet and i was like wow i had no idea at the time what kind of pressure that felt like and and i think they did a good job of preparing us for for that aspect of of journalism and then the broadcasting part i was so bad i i have no problem admitting that i look back at the tapes of of trying to do like play-by-play of trying to do um, just, just the fake sports cast and, and I, it's bad. And, mm-hmm. and I had to be bad. And mm-hmm. I got some great mentors who gave me great advice, who worked with me, who helped me. Um, and as I moved through my career, I took those, those notes with me and I would like to think became a lot better, <laughs> uh, given everything that happened at TSN and, and every opportunity that I've been given um since uh those years at Syracuse so I think the confidence part the well-roundedness of the education the opportunities to I mean I worked for the Syracuse Post Standard I covered every single sport you can think of from the AHL college hockey like Colgate was right there Cornell was right there I was covering so many sports and basically if you could dream it Syracuse could give you an opportunity to make it happen and that was my biggest takeaway and the thing that still drives me is I want, I, I went back to Syracuse recently and, you know, they have this like wall of, you know, it was like a wall of excellence basically. And, mm-hmm. and I'm on there mm-hmm. and I, I was like, holy man, like that's, it's crazy. And it's what still drives me is that I remember that first day and them saying, you know, we demand the best and that's why we try to bring in really good people. And, uh, you know, even though I was bad in the beginning, I always use that as fuel to try and get better. No, that's awesome, and, and and two things for my for that answer I, I really you know really like was was this you know number one just the opportunities to get better through the reps and doing a bunch of different sports or you know news whatever right just to make sure you understand what it takes in order to get better and then this whole concept of failing and, and look I mean I feel like for for young journalists they they may be 
hesitant to 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 fail just because it's it's you know it may not be great, but it's so important in order to learn and get better. I mean, I I know for speaking from personal experience, the 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 clips or the columns that I wrote a year or two ago are very different to what it is right now, or just the level of podcast interviews from episode one to to this current episode are very different. So I think in order to evolve and to get better, you have to you have to make those mistakes. And, I, and it's good that a place like Syracuse or, or other journalism programs provide that opportunity to get the reps, but also learn from your mistakes and, and have mentors that, that, you know, mentor you along the way in order to become a more polished journalist. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I love to read, I love to read biographies and I've, you know, I, I've read a bunch of them in, uh, in quarantine, if you want to call it that, whatever <laughs> we want to call this phase of our lives. Um, and, and it's funny, every great leader, every, every CEO, every person you're reading books about, you see all their families are always like, this didn't work out for me. This didn't happen for me. I could have quit here. I could have been done here. Um, I fell on my face here. I made this big mistake here. Anyone who has ever accomplished anything has fallen flat on their face mm-hmm. and they have completely messed up. They have made huge errors and they have bounced back. Because the only way to build resilience is to go through those those hardships and to go through those hard times and keep showing up. Mm-hmm. And I've made plenty of embarrassing errors in my career. I've I've asked horrible questions. I have been, you know, I, I've been uninformed on things I should have been better informed on. I have embarrassed myself definitely, but those things, I mean, they're failures in and of themselves, but they're also just moments where you get to look back on and say, okay, well, guess what? I, I got through it. it. It happened and it was, oh, you know, a little red faced and that sucked, but you, you move on from it and, and you're stronger because of it. You know that the next time you hit a roadblock, you can move past it. And, and until you do that, you don't know that you can. And I always think with, with young journalists, especially, I, I always tell them, you know, when they ask for advice, like, oh, well, you know, this, what if it doesn't work out or, or, you know, it's so hard, like there's no opportunity. And I'm like, what if you can though? Like, what yeah. if you were the person who can do it if you just keep pushing? And if you stop, that's the end. That's the end of your story right there. But if you just keep going and you keep muscling through it, eventually you get, you know, you get through all the thicket in the forest and eventually you find the clearing, right? So I always think that the failures are just sort of the thickets along the way. And if you just keep, you know, keep moving your way through, uh, you usually have a good chance of getting where you want to go. Yeah, I mean, that's great advice. And especially now with like, it's, it's job and internship season right now for a lot of young journalists. And, and, and it can be discouraging at times where you send out a hundred job applications and you may get zero, but... I think with your advice is like maybe that 101st or that 205th application turns into the opportunity because it just takes one person, Kristen. It takes one person to say like, here's, here's a kid. He, he works hard. He's, he's intelligent and he has these, I mean, intangible skills that make him a really solid journalist that can get better, that can grow. And, and, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, just trying to muster through that adversity, which can be hard. It can be discouraging given the scarcity of opportunities in this industry. But again, just continuing to power through, it, it can make you, it, it can make you a better journalist, just because you've, you've gone through that, you know, the thick and the thick and thin through through the fire to to get to where you are now. In my opinion, anyway. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't think that I don't think anyone who's ever succeeded at anything has has gone through it. So if you quit, that's the end. Yeah. Right. That's the end of the story. For sure, you, you know. And before you get to, to TSN, you know, you you spent a year with the Chicago Wolves doing a bunch of different tasks. You you also were a digital producer at USA Today. How were those experiences? And just again, you know, along your path, preparing you to just be a better journalist. And I guess for with the Chicago Wolves, you know, you're you're right there with an AHL team, and, and I'm sure that knowledge certainly helps. Right now, in your current role at TSM, being in the hockey world still. Yeah, I mean the the Wolves were were a terrific experience. I I loved being um, sort of really hands on with one team and and to really be a part of that community feel. As part of why I really wanted to get back into beat reporting after um, I was out in, uh, in LA with uh, with USA Today, where it was very much on the sort of the web side more. There was hockey coverage, but it wasn't like a beat. Um, I really liked uh, working with the Wolves and, and having that interaction with just the one team. And you get to know the players, you get to know the organization, you understand the structure, you understand from one season to the next what's changed, what's stayed the same, how things have evolved for uh, for the group. And, and I do, I, I really appreciated that chance. The Wolves let me... Uh, really grow, I think, as as a person and as a as a journalist. Um, even though I was technically working for a team, so like the the journalist tag necessarily uh, doesn't apply when you're you're doing the uh, in house stuff. But it did make me a, a better writer. I learned a lot also about graphic design and and about um, I think the the other side of uh, of PR and and things like that, like things that go into really making a team run. And of course, learning about the uh, the league itself, and so when you know opportunities came up early in my career at TSN to cover the Marlies, um, I didn't travel a lot my first couple of years on the beat. So when the Leafs would be out of town, I would go to to the Marlies, and uh, it's funny because I I knew a lot about the league, but then it was those early years spending a lot of time with the Marlies that the guys who were coming out through there, you know, the, the Travis Dermott's and, and you look at Sheldon Keith, like those, that's where I built those relationships was I was there. I was the only one there. And so Keith and I would talk for like 30 minutes after practice. It's two of us. And, and you build that relationship and then you see how that uh, it benefits you later on because you know the coach pretty well when things change. So those experiences were invaluable and uh, at the AHL level. And then USA Today was, very um what's the what's the best way to describe it It was so different than, mm-hmm. than anything i wanted to do uh certainly working the back end of a website editing uh doing tasks that maybe i wasn't um really well versed in at the time of my hiring but that i got pretty good at as it went on um it, it made me a better journalist because reading good journalism all day, every day will make you better. It will make you a better writer. It will make you um, see the nuances of storytelling better. And then I did get a chance, obviously, to cover the Kings and the Ducks at the same time, but I was doing a lot of editing for the website as well. So that was, I think, my biggest takeaway from those years. Um, and then doing a podcast with um, Kevin Allen and Jimmy nice. Haskup while I was there was great. We got a lot of really cool guests on. I'd never done podcasts before. 
and that sort of got my name out there with like Sirius XM back uh, in Canada and so I got I was getting some opportunities there and the NHL network started hearing that so everything builds everything mm-hmm. that you do if you're building sort of your brand so to speak um, it, it really makes a difference every appearance every um, I think every aspect of what you're doing will probably play into your future career in some positive way so how do you then end up at TSN essentially achieving as you said earlier your, your dream of covering hockey in Toronto well I applied and, they <laughs> called me and that was that was the beginning I really didn't expect it um I was living in Chicago at the time I didn't really think that um they would really notice my application necessarily I didn't have a ton of experience um on a beat obviously an NHL beat I had the various opportunities from LA and then Chicago and St. Louis but um not a ton of experience compared to the the caliber of responses I assumed that they would be getting um but I had great conversations with my future bosses Mm -hmm. uh, while I was actually covering uh, the Western Conference playoffs uh, so that was back in 2016, um, and they wanted to fly me up to Toronto to kind of see what was going on, meet with more people, and um, so I flew up there. It was a very, I actually had to work that night in Chicago, so I flew up first thing, did the tour, and then flew back to Chicago and worked that night, so that was, <laughs> I'll never forget that day. It was like the most wild day of my life, but I left Toronto feeling like, if I don't get this, I'll just be heartbroken because mm-hmm. it, it, it felt like such a good interview. I feel like it's a good fit. I felt like what I had to offer, they really wanted. And the best part of it was that I was just completely myself. I, I went into the room with uh, everyone I was interviewing with and just, just spoke my truth and just mm-hmm. said, this is the kind of reporter I am. This is what you're going to get from me. These are my weaknesses. And I actually said what my true weaknesses were, but I also said, this is also how far I've come in that area. Like, I don't have a ton of experience on this, but I've done X, Y, and Z to improve and I will continue um, to do so. And that I think is what helped separate me maybe from the group was that I, I totally and freely admit I'm not ever gonna be the most talented journalist in a room. I'm not the best writer. I'm not the best broadcaster but I will work harder Mm. than anybody else in the room. I don't care who you are, you will not outwork me. And that's what I think has gotten me to the point that I am, is that you can't always be the most talented. It's just not possible, Mm. but you get to decide how hard you wanna work. You get to decide how many sacrifices you wanna make. I made a lot of sacrifices to get here. I know a lot of people who gave up along the way because the sacrifices were too much. It's mm-hmm. too hard sometimes what you have to do. It's easier to do other things than this. And anyone who has ever accomplished anything uh, worth doing, I think can tell you that the sacrifices have to line up with where you're at. And there are certain things that I gave up, but in the end I got where I wanted to go. And I think that work ethic always comes through uh, for me that I, I have never ever had a problem um, working hard and that I think is what TSN probably recognized in me was that they thought okay maybe she's not the most talented but we will always be able to work with her to get where we need to go and I think that's a good quality to have. I think that concept of sacrifice is so important because, look, I mean, you know, many people can sort of relate in in the sports media world to that sacrifice because, look, I mean, you know, you could be, you know, you could be missing going out with your friends on a Friday night when you're covering a game or, or, you know, you have to miss holiday time with 
family or friends because you're you know you're you're on assignment and and sometimes people don't understand that sacrifice but if you're willing to make it like it just shows that you're that you're willing to, to do what it takes in order to, to succeed so i i find that's also a connective theme with in terms of the guests that i've interviewed on this podcast is just being willing to to, to do whatever it takes being willing to say yes to opportunities in order to to, to learn and get ahead in, in the industry yeah you have to be a self-starter mm-hmm. and you have to be able to see the bigger picture you you can't have everything right if you if you want a nine to five job so that you're available on weekends and whenever people are sort of spending that downtime together that's great you you will not find that in sports media though because sports happen when people who work nine to fives are available to watch them happen so it's just you have to be realistic about your goals and you have to be realistic about what you're willing to um adopt in terms of a lifestyle because sports media is its own lifestyle and you if you have a partner in your life they have to understand what the the demands of it are my friends whose weddings i've missed whose bridal showers baby showers um any number of events you don't get to go because you can't take every saturday off in the summer when everybody's getting married it's just not uh, it's just not going to happen so um i think it's important for any young journalist especially definitely set out what your goals are for yourself be realistic about what this industry asks of you and if those sacrifices are too great then maybe it's not something that you want to try to fit yourself into if you know that there's certain things that are going to be very important to you um and that just might not be possible in any journalistic uh endeavor because by nature the hours are not uh typical as they say so you've been at tsn since 2016 how have you evolved as a journalist and how maybe has your role evolved at TSN in terms of just the responsibilities that you have at, as, as a beat reporter for the Leafs? Um, I wouldn't say that my job, I mean, my job has evolved just to become greater. I just mm. do more now. Um, I co-host the Leafs broadcast with Jim Taddy. Um, I do more television um, on sports center and that's hockey. I've traveled more as the years have gone on. Um, Masters and I, we have our popular Leafs three and three segments. Um, so, so there's just more responsibilities. There's there's more opportunity to do. Um, I think the multifaceted things like I do write, I do um, TV, I do radio, but I just do a lot more of it. There's a volume increase that has come. Um, so I think that's the biggest change. And and as a journalist, I'm just more confident in my voice. I think coming on this beat was very intimidating in that there's a lot of people that have been doing it for a long time. Um, there's not really a lot of new faces. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm still the newest face on this beat and I've been here now for five years. And, you know, the Lance Hornby's, Kevin McGrann's, um, Chris Johnson's even, like these guys, they've been around for so long. Um, and so there was definitely, uh, I think I had to develop that confidence and learn the team, especially because they would be talking about, remember this game five years ago, remember this player <laughs> from 10 years ago? And I'm like, whoa, I, I don't know about these guys. I don't know about these events that have led to this point. But now I have a much, um, uh, I have, you know, those five years of experience. And I, I know I came at a good time in the sense that they really transitioned into a whole different sort of regime as a team, the Leafs did. Um, so a lot of what I was stepping into was separated from the past. It wasn't like you were coming into the Blackhawks run, you know, midway, you know, one cup in and things were staying very much the same. I came in during a season of change 
and it's only continued to change and evolve since then. So it was a good time to, to take on a new beat. Um, but I, I think as a journalist, I just, I know more of what works. I know what doesn't, I know what people want. I understand the fan base better in terms of what they want to um, consume in terms of content. And so all of those factors, I think have really played into just making me, um, you know, a more impactful journalist and, and just more willing to take on, um, you know, maybe stories or um, viewpoints that I might have shied away from a little bit more in the beginning. You know, you, you talk about just, you know, some of the voices that have always been there, and like Lance Horby, who actually was a podcast guest of mine for a few weeks, for a few months back. And I'm just curious, Kristen, for you, just, just the importance of, of trying to stand out, because I feel like so many journalists that first get on a big market beat, there are all these voices, and it feels like you're, you're you know, you're, you're in a sea of water, and there are all these fish, and it's hard to stand out. So I'm just curious how long it, it took you to to really try to stand out through through your voice and through your work? Well, I, don't really, I wouldn't say that I ever really tried to stand out necessarily. I just wanted to deliver to TSN what I told them I would, which is that I would be myself. And mm. I would try to bring my voice and my perspective, my humor um, to what I was doing. Because when I looked at the loose feed at the time, I looked at people covering it and everything was so serious. It was mm. like, people talked about the Leafs, like, like if people were living and dying when the Leafs yeah. result, and I just thought, it's not, it's supposed to be fun, like, it's hockey, yeah. right, and so I just tried from the start to have fun with it, and poke fun, and, and to make jokes, and to, you know, kind of bring some levity to, to Twitter, especially, um, you know, using, I think Twitter is a double-edged sword in a lot of ways, <laughs> but for me, I love it, I think the community on there, people get fired up, people are passionate, and I try to play into that, passion as well by just being who I am and understanding that there was I think a, a dearth of of humor and mm -hmm. lightness around the Leafs everything was doom and gloom and oh they haven't won and they can never win and this is terrible that's terrible and it's, it's just not it's hockey it's fun it's um it's engaging it's supposed to be a good time I don't want to be that journalist who is constantly writing the like you know those stories about the negative 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 i want to be positive I love that. not because you know, just just because I, there's just enough negativity yeah. negative i mean there's of course you have to ask the hard questions you have to point things out you have to do your job but i think you can choose to look at your role in sports through whichever lens you choose and for me it's that i always want to be unbiased i want to be fair i want to look at the whole picture but I also don't want to throw the baby out with bathwater every other game. You know, that was, I think, my biggest um, focus when I started in terms of almost standing out was that I, I just didn't want the pendulum to swing every single game and be like, oh, they're the best. Oh, now they're mm -hmm. terrible. Oh, look at how great this player is. Now he's awful. Just even keel. Just yeah. stay stay on it. Have fun with it every game. It can be – you can be in the midst of a seven-game losing streak. And sure, you, you have to write the stories about what's going wrong, but you can also point out the things that are, are going well. And that's what, to me, um, you know, I just don't think that you always need to be stepping on the throat of, of whatever you're doing. I mean, it was the same when I was covering the Kings and the Ducks. Mm -hmm. Same when I was covering the Blackhawks and the Blues. There's, there's definitely angles to take that are negative. There's angles to take that are overtly positive. I just tried to find the middle ground to have my fun, but also be serious in terms of what really needs to be reported on um, at any given time. So I think once I was able to kind of establish that 
uh, it really just helped me kind of find my own voice. And so now um, I think when, when things need to be said, they can be said, but there's a lot of room, I think, to just have fun with it too. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much negative things you can find about the Leafs. I mean, they haven't won since 1967. I get reminded that every day by my by my parents. So so it's certainly uh, it's certainly nothing new. But uh, yeah, just 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 you know the importance of just being positive and optimistic, especially in 2020, which has been you know a lot of negativity. I think is is very important in sports media. Christian, I want to I want to end the conversation. I mean, you talked about earlier about you know being initially discouraged because there there weren't a lot of women voices in sports, and and while there certainly have been an increase in in more women voices, there there's still so much more we need to do and need to grow in order to get even more women's voices in sports. I'm just curious how how you see your your role in your current role at, at TSN inspiring a future generation of younger women journalists who want to pursue this industry, because as you've said, it can be hard. It can be challenging, but we need those voices. We need those perspectives. So how do you, how do you use your platform in order to inspire that future generation? Well, I hope that it starts by just being a part of the conversation Mm -hmm. that um, being in a prominent role in a prominent hockey market um, in a country that doesn't have a lot of female hockey reporters in those sort of more major roles, um, I hope just having my voice out there and um, making a mark in that way, being a good reporter, and, and that's mm-hmm. doing solid work. That's making sure that, you know, I, I don't want to ever be the topic of conversation. I don't want anybody talking about me as like Kristen Shelton. I want people talking about the the work that I do, the reporting that where. I don't, I don't want it to be about me. And that's what I see from, I think other maybe female journalists It ends up somehow, sometimes through no faults of their own, sometimes they insert themselves into it. And it just becomes where suddenly you're a spokesperson for like all women. And, and I don't want that. I want to just be an example of a woman who can come in and do the job really well. And then that will open the door. I hope for other women to see that and and to think, yes, I can do it. But my, my bigger hope is actually, I hope that men can see it and that it can normalize for them women sports reporters Mm -hmm. as not a novelty, but as just a normal part of reporting. And and that's to me, the bigger key. I used to think that it was inspiring women, but it's Mm -hmm. not as much it is, but it's almost a greater task to have men see women talking about sports, writing about sports, have that be normal. Have it like, let's, let's abolish the old boys club mm-hmm. and let's just have it be normal that men and women cover sports and that they're equally good at it, that there's not an inherent uh, advantage to covering sports just because you're male. Um, I hope that that is, is what I can do. I hope that I have brokered conversations with a lot of men um, through my platforms and, and we talk sports and we have con- those conversations and, and I hope that it, it, in seeing me do it, that they'll realize that the next girl who's coming along, whether it's in baseball or basketball, wherever it is, they're like, Oh no, that's, that's totally, of course, why wouldn't there be a woman in that role? It shouldn't be weird or yeah. um, surprising that a woman is given um, the opportunity to cover a sport the same way that a man is. So um, I hope that, that that I can help with that. I hope that, um, you know, through the coverage that I bring, through the attitude that I bring, I hope that I'm good enough at what I do to be that that 
a part of that change, a part of where we stop seeing it as a to- as tokenism in a way, yeah. um, and, and just see it as as a normal part of sports reporting. Because I love all the, the voices that you can get. I love that depending on what team or what sporting event it is, you can pick from any number of outlets. You can choose like, oh, I love like look at what Doris Burke does. I yeah. mean, you, there's nobody better than Doris Burke. Mm-hmm. But, but who's the next Doris Burke? Who, who's going to be the next and the next and the next? And that's really what we need. And, and that's not just a female. That's male, too. Like who's going to be the next person that everyone universally agrees on? You are so good at what you do. Um, and I just hope that if I'm in even the smallest part of any conversation about someone who helped to normalize women sports reporters or who helped to inspire other girls to pursue um, this as a career path. I think that would be the, the greatest, uh, I think, legacy I could ever leave in my career would just be um, to, to shift the conversation and then to shift it away from the old boys club of sports and, and into a, a new era where it's just everyone, sports really are for everyone. And it's it's hokey and kind of corny to say it, but that's what I would love to see. I would love for sports media to be for everyone who throws their hat in the ring and does the work that's what should define you. No, that's, that's so, that's, that's amazing advice. And I, and I really like just the point about how it isn't just inspiring women. It isn't just continuing those conversations. It's also, you know, really breaking down what, you know, as you say, the old boys club and allowing men to change their, their perceptions. Cause it, unfortunately it still exists, but I think, you know, if men can be allies, if they can be supportive of, of women in sports, I think we can continue to have more of those opportunities to have women voices in sports. Kristen, last question for you, and I always do this with all my, my guests. What would you say has been your most memorable moment on on, on, on the Leafs beat throughout your, uh, throughout your career thus far? Oh my goodness. Most memorable moment. I've had, I've had a couple that stick out. The Centennial Classic, my first year, the overtime winner um that was a crazy crazy environment i i loved that I, I got to do a sports center report for that game which was really cool um the leafs did an outdoor practice in minnesota a couple mm-hmm. years ago which it was just so fun it just reminded me why i love hockey why i love sports um i thought that it was just such a such a cool thing to be in the middle of downtown minnesota just freezing meant downtown minnesota downtown minneapolis and just freezing uh, and, and watching these guys just play three on three on an outdoor rink. That was really cool. Um, and, you know, there's there's been other times, like I, I think covering uh, Western Conference Final was really cool. Um, just seeing kind of that, the, the progression from the first round right up to, um, to the final was really cool. Um, I feel like I, I always every city I've been to, I, I've even it was a terrible game for the Leafs, but even just that first experience in Vegas um, hmm. on New Year's Eve a couple of years ago. Uh, so yeah, I, I have so many. There's I feel like every year I'm like oh, this is the best, but it's it's just because I, I absolutely love this this job and and the opportunities that it has afforded me. So um, those would be the the highlights for me though. Kristen Shilton is a Toronto Maple Leafs beat reporter for TSN. Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on the We Sports Chronicles podcast.